Amen. I, I feel the presence of God here. And um, I, why don't we stand? I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter number 14. Mark 14. And uh, if you've ever, ever shared a message or preached, sometimes you argue with God. I mean, that's just the truth is, you know, you want to come in and you want to preach about how powerful we are. You want to preach faith. You want to preach all these different things. But sometimes God just won't let you alone about something. And uh, as is my custom, a few weeks ago, I got up in the morning and uh, was doing my daily Bible reading. And uh, from time to time, I'll just, I'll just start writing. It's, it's kind of the way God talks to me. I don't really do it um, for a purpose other than that I feel it. So I write it. It's my way of expressing and, and bringing my thoughts together. And I, I wrote a little... Um, I don't know if you'd call it a blog or just a, a few paragraphs on the scripture that I'm going to preach from today. And to this time, I've never preached from one of those before. I write them and I forget them. I, it's just something God gave me. Maybe I'll revisit them one day, just things that God shared with me. But I couldn't get away from this one. And so I, I want to read to you from Mark chapter number 14, verse number 32. And it was on the night that Jesus... Uh, gave the Last Supper. It was on the night that he revealed to his disciples that he would soon go to the cross and give his life away. And the Bible says after it all ended, verse 32 picks up at the end of the Last Supper and it says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. The second time, first he said, sit and pray. The second he says, remain and watch while I pray. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. And the Bible says in verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit indeed is willing. Somebody say the spirit is willing. He said, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away and prayed again, saying the same words. And he came again and he found them sleeping two times. Now he finds them asleep for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, for the hour has come. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Three times that night the narrative was broken of Jesus struggling in his own humanity, with his own will, with his own flesh, about going to the cross for you, and for me, and three times he found his disciples asleep. Amen. I just want to preach for a few minutes just from a simple title called Caught Sleeping. 
Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be caught sleeping in the moment of our greatest need. Amen. Can we just pray together? I just want us to ask God to step into this place. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in this room right now. God, that you would bring the smelling salt of the spirit to wake us up to what's happening around us, God, to the hour that we are living in, God. I pray, Lord, that before we leave this place that someone would feel the sure hand of God shaking their spirit to awaken to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we believe for it. And everybody said amen. Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't get caught sleeping. Amen. Sleep is one of those subjects that people can't agree on. Some people love to sleep. Can I get an amen from those who love to take a nap? Sounds like just about everybody. <laughs> then there are those who hate to sleep. I remember when I was just a kid. and I Remember we used to have church Sunday morning and Sunday night? And you were so wore out after Sunday morning you had to go home and you had to, you, you didn't need, to, you didn't just want to, you had to sleep so that you could come back and, and, and have real church on Sunday night. I mean like Pentecostal church, like Dodge and Bobby Pins church. And my mom loved a Sunday nap. Some of y'all, I just feel the spirit of sleep in this room. Some of y'all already plan to go home and take a nap today. Some of y'all can't wait. My wife is the type of person, she comes in the house, she straight goes to her pajamas. It might be 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but she gets in those pajamas when she gets home. Because some people are ready at a moment's notice to go to sleep, amen? They love to sleep. Not me. When I was a kid, I remember trying to sneak out of the bed, laying in the bed on a Sunday afternoon because mom knew if she put me uh, down for a nap in my room, I wasn't staying there. I was climbing out a window. One day they caught me on the roof wearing cowboy boots, clomping on the roof while mom was taking a nap. I was out. I didn't want to sleep. I got too much energy to sleep. And, but I remember I would lay on the bed, and mom had hypersensitive spidey senses because if I would move an inch, she would stick that arm out and grab me and make me stay. I remember trying to edge off the bed and slide and tiptoe out of the room so I could go outside and play for a while before we went back to church. I hated taking naps. And, and sleep is one of those things. There's some people who love to go to bed and some people you got to do everything in your power to twist their arm to get them to go to bed. Some of y'all, y'all can't wait at the stroke of nine o'clock. You got your sleepy hat on. You're passed out. You're gone until the morning time. And, and, and we call those morning people. I don't understand you. And there's other, others of us who hang on to the very last thread of consciousness slips away. And there are two types of people. There are people who love going to bed and people who don't. And guess what? They always get married to each other. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> they always marry each other. One is ready to go to bed and the other one wants to stay up. And so whether you not like sleep or not, the truth is that we all do it. Amen? Sleep by definition, is a naturally recurring state of mind and body. And I want you to listen to this with a, an ear to the spirit. Because sleep is characterized by altered consciousness, inhibited senses, reduced muscle activity, and inhibition of nearly all the voluntary muscles, and reduced interaction with your surroundings. As wonderful as sleep can be, 
There are some things that we do not have access to when we are asleep. And sleeping at the wrong time can have devastating effects. Just the other day, Tiger Woods, they believed that he fell asleep at the wheel and drove off of a curvy highway in California and nearly lost his life because he was caught sleeping at the wrong time. Anybody ever been caught sleeping at the wrong time? I remember one day I, I fell asleep in school in the middle of class and I put my head down on the desk. And man, I, I, I wasn't just in a light sleep, I was in a deep sleep. A really deep sleep. And I started dreaming and I dreamed that I was playing baseball and somebody threw me a baseball and they threw it right at my face. And Brother Chase, when the ball almost hit my face, I woke up and I tried to catch the ball. And looked around and everybody in the class jerked and looked at me like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Embarrassing. Caught sleeping at the wrong moment. I, I saw a viral video a while back of a, a guy who slept heavy. Some of y'all are heavy sleepers. He slept heavy and he was on an air mattress. And his buddies picked up the air mattress and they took it out to a pond. And they slowly just drifted him out onto the pond and he woke up a few hours later in the middle of the water. Caught sleeping at the wrong time. And so all of us can relate. We've overslept. We've missed opportunities. And we've been embarrassed. We've missed some of y'all at home uh, right now watching online because you slept in too late and didn't make it to church. Count this as your rebuke. In Mark 14, the disciples are caught sleeping. At the wrong time. They're in a state of altered consciousness. Their senses are dulled to what's happening around them. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, they lie inactive and inhibited. While just a few feet away, Jesus was praying so hard that blood burst from his sweat glands and fell to the ground. What a contrast that was happening in that place. They were snoozing away while Jesus was all in working to bring his human will into submission laboring in the late hour so that he could pray so that the will of God would come to pass and a few feet away they were out like a light unaware inattentive to what was taking place right near them they were unaware of the hour, unaware of the conditions. And just yards away, Jesus was settling his destiny as the Savior of the world through prayer. And three times the narrative is broken because Jesus understands the significance of the night. And, and three times Jesus looks to his disciples who he finds asleep at this pivotal moment. Simon, are you asleep? Simon, what, huh? He says, could you not pray for one hour? Are, are you still sleeping and resting? He comes back again and asks them. And like sheepish school children, they, they don't have an answer. They just look at him and don't know what to say. And a third time again, he asks, are you asleep? Are you still asleep? And he says, it is enough because the hour has come. You miss the opportunity to watch and to pray. The hour is now here. And so Jesus' frustration is palpable. The significance 
of the night would soon be revealed. It was a transitional hour where the tide of eternity was shifting. And they didn't know it. They weren't aware. But Jesus' closest friends and confidants were asleep in the hour when they needed to be awake. Jesus three times came to them and shook them. Are you asleep at this time, at this hour? What are you doing sleeping? Meanwhile, I want to turn your attention to the other side of the story because the reason this passage captured my attention a few weeks ago is I had never thought about what was happening on the other side of the equation. Because in the garden, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus was praying while his disciples were sleeping. But on the other side of the story, Judas was wide awake. He was well aware of the hour. The conspirators against Christ were mobilizing while his followers were asleep. The high priest and his servants, along with the Roman soldiers and men of the Sanhedrin, were literally working through the night in order to stop the message and the movement of this Jesus. They were looking to land a death blow to truth, and they were willing to do whatever it took to make it happen. They were working overtime to stop this Jesus, to shut him down in his tracks. And the snapshot of the difference between the two sides is almost prescient because the disciples may have been the first Christians caught sleeping in a pivotal moment, but I've come to preach to somebody today a message that I struggled to preach because I wanted to pump you up. But we, they are not, they may be the first, but they are not the last Christians that are asleep in a pivotal moment in time. If we're honest today, we would acknowledge that far too often the world and its systems are working while the church seems to be sleeping. The world and its systems are doggedly pursuing their goals, their ideals, and their ideas while the church is asleep. And somebody, I've come to preach so that somebody would just get a whiff of the smelling salt of the Spirit. You ever seen when a boxer gets knocked out, they wake them back up, they give them the smelling salt so that they can become aware again. And that's what we need in this hour is we need a church that is awake because the world will work through the night. To stop the message of Jesus. Scripture paints a sharp contrast in Matthew 14. The disciples slept, but Satan had entered the heart of Judas. And he was working through the night to prevent Jesus' message from moving forward. Because evil works the night shift. Have you ever heard this? That that a lie can run halfway around the world before truth gets its boots on. And that's the way the enemy works. It seems like the things that are evil work a lot harder than the things that are true. And, and, And scripture shows us that evil works the night shift. It never sleeps. It never takes a day off. Satan and his demons never take a personal day. They're fully committed to the war they are fighting, and they don't don't like to fight in the daytime. They like to fight under the cover of night. They plan and execute plans under the cover of darkness in the hour when men sleep. Why? Because an unseen enemy is an unopposed enemy. 
And why does the enemy work in the darkness, enshrouded? He tries to hide what he's doing and cloak what he's doing and, and obscure what he's doing because he understands that if the church ever wakes up, and if the church ever realizes what is happening around them, that he can stand no chance against the church triumphant. And so Satan works the night shift. Make no mistake, the enemy is hard at work in our world today. Is it all right if I get real? Look, we can, we can do politically correct another time. But Satan is working hard to undermine marriages and families. Let me tell you something. It's easier than ever to connect with the wrong people. It's easier than ever in a frustrated moment in your marital relationship to find consolation in somebody else. It's easier than ever to drift apart in a world that is so busy and divided and Satan has his target on marriages and families. Divorce rates continue to climb as culture spreads the lie that your temporary happiness is more important than your lifetime vow. And somebody hear me, Satan in this culture has undermined the family because when the family is intact, things tend to go better in society. The family is under attack. He's not just attacking the family. He's trying to capture the minds of our students by normalizing sin through social media and cultural pressure. Satan has put a full court press on the issue of sexuality. And it's not popular for preachers to say that we, we believe in abstinence anymore. And, and, and it's old-fashioned and antiquated and outdated for Christianity to stand up. But in this hour, the world is talking about stuff that we're not willing to talk about. Now you see why I didn't want to come preach this message. I wanted to be nice. Welcome, guests. It's good to have you. Is it all right if we're honest about what's happening in the world? Because the world is working while the church is asleep. Parents don't make the mistake of assuming that because you come on a Sunday and a Wednesday that your parents are, that your children are going to grow up and, and revere truth. Don't make the mistake that the youth pastor can put it into them one hour on a Wednesday night. Don't make the mistake that kid life can establish a faith foundation for your children because when they're not here, the world is still working. When they're not at church, the world is still doing its thing. The world is still reaching for them. The world is still preaching to them. He's working to capture the minds of students and he's put a full court press. He's worked hard to paint biblical morality as old and outdated. He's worked hard to paint the church as unloving and uncaring because we adhere to the model that God created when he created male and female to be married. Have you noticed that culture switched on us? Have you noticed that things the church was never hated for, it's being hated for now? Have you noticed that there is a political pressure on everything that we say and that we do. And if you tweet the wrong thing and if you say the wrong thing, they will come after you to steal your job, to take your livelihood. If you just stand up against abortion, if you stand up against gay marriage, if you stand up against unbiblical morality and secular humanism, they will come after you to destroy you. Why? Not because they care about you, but they're creating an atmosphere to stop the message. That's what they're doing. They want to paint us into a corner. 
so that young people, before they ever get the chance to hear the gospel of Jesus, will have written off the church. They want to paint us into a corner and identify us as hateful and unloving. And, and let me just set the record straight. Anybody is welcome at Christian Life Church. No matter your sexuality, everybody is welcome. But we will stand on the biblical truth that God has a design for each and every one of us. We will stand on the biblical truth that, that, that God has created us after His image. And the enemy's working hard to warp it. He's working hard to diminish faith and dilute our worship until it's empty and useless. He wants to stop the life-changing message of Jesus in its tracks. And so he works hard to convince Christians that going to church once a week is enough. He works hard to convince Christians that turning on Christian radio is enough. And the world works the night shift. Lurking in every dark corner of culture is an unseen army who's working to blind the hearts and the minds of humanity. Not just so that they will disagree with Christian viewpoints. Not just so that they will vote for a political party. But so that they are blind and unable to see the gospel. Jesus, even or the word of God, says that in, uh, that those who are alienated from the life of God are alienated because the God of this world, the little g, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded their minds and their hearts lest they should see the glorious gospel of Jesus so that they cannot receive it. He works the midnight shift. Christians have been painted by the scientific community as ignorant and unlearned because we hold to belief in a creator. Please, don't misunderstand my purpose. I want to talk to people my age. Don't misunderstand my purpose. I'm not saying this stuff because it's popular in Christian circles. I'm not saying this to rile you up and to, to rouse your attention. I'm not saying it to preach to the choir or for a passing Amen. But I'm saying it because while we are not aware, hell is working against the message of Jesus. <clears throat> while we're unaware and while we're sleeping, hell is working hard. Daniel 7.25 says this. It, it describes the agenda of the Antichrist. It says, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. That literally means to wear down. <clears throat> what is he trying to do? He's trying to wear us down. You know who's good at wearing you down? Kids. Can I get an amen? <laughs> My kids wear me down. The reason they keep asking, and I've preached about this before, is because they know eventually I'll cave. And let me tell you something, the reason culture keeps pressing is because eventually a lot of Christians will give up and say, well, is it really such a big deal after all? Is it really such a big thing after all? Why does that happen? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Is it okay if I just step back from preaching and just talk to y'all? So many times I've heard people my age say, why does the church have such a candy stick? on the issue of homosexuality. And I, I want to explain it to you, okay? 
The reason we preach against it, first of all, is because Romans declares that it's a sin. It's the same reason that we preach against adultery. It's the same reason that we preach against alcoholism and everything else. It's because ultimately we don't see homosexuality as the enemy. We see it as a deception that is being imposed upon the world. I'm, I'm trying to be careful. I'm not the pastor. I'm going to let pastor preach all the, the heavy hitting when he gets home. But is it okay if I just say it's not a candy stick? It's not a candy stick. That's not why we address it. Because what the enemy tries to do is he tries to wear out the church through time. If he can soften you on that issue, and if he can push that issue, there's always another one coming behind it. And if he can get you to stop praying, then he can maybe get you to stop worshiping. And if he can get you to stop worshiping, maybe he can get you to stop going to church because you're not feeling it anymore. And I don't feel fed anymore. And listen, gradualism is the danger of our hour. Because how do you fall asleep? Here's how you fall asleep. You drift to sleep. Now maybe some of y'all get there quick. But, but scientifically, you don't just go straight to a deep sleep. You go in stages. There are four stages to sleep. You drift off to sleep. And what the enemy is trying to do in our world today is cause Christians to drift and fade from their convictions and from the truth until they are unaware, inattentive, unable to respond to the need of their day. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given over into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And Satan's agenda is what it's always been as he works the night shift to stop the message. And no wonder scripture will implore us to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary is walking about seeking whom he may devour. Get the picture. All the world works. The church so many times is asleep, unaware of what's really happening. No wonder Paul said we are children of light and not of darkness, so we should not sleep as do others, but to keep awake and be sober. Perhaps Paul was writing so that we could flip the script of Mark chapter 14, and that, that perhaps somehow we could change the narrative that's happening in our world, because if the church will ever wake up, we can make a difference in our world. If the church will ever wake up, we can make a difference in lives. We live in an hour where darkness works overtime. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He said, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. Paul said, you've got to wake up, church. Church, it's time to wake up. It's almost like a parent shaking a child. I do it so often in the morning with my boys. It's time to wake up like a drowsy zombie they fall all over the bed what huh it's time to get up we've got somewhere to go gonna have to leave in a few minutes time is running short gotta wake up and Paul is saying to the church 
it's now high time that we awake from our sleep because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Our salvation is getting closer and closer every single day. And so I hear the Holy Ghost saying to the church, wake up on a Sunday morning. We've been aware, unaware and unresponsive for too long. We've been inactive for too long. We need Christian voices in the cultural conversation. We need people of prayer who will target the works of the enemy in this day and hour. We need Christians who are not blind to what the world is doing. We're not walking through life alive but not living. We need Christians who are awake. And Paul says the time is drawing near. Time is getting close. It's not a coincidence that the things that we're seeing today are so indicative of the work of the Antichrist. They seek to change times and seasons. They're trying to change the hour that we're living in. It says in the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. And, and there is this flipping of understanding that's going on in the world today. And I've come to preach to somebody, it's not an accident. It's not a political coincidence that these issues are being pressed. But we're living in an hour where the time is coming close. He says, even now, even now, our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. And I don't often preach about the coming of the Lord, but Paul is trying to shake the church. He's saying, church, I know you're asleep. I know you don't realize it, but there's an enemy at work in your world. He's working on your kids when you don't even know it. He's working on your family when you can't even see it. Paul says it's high time. Somebody say high time. It's high time that we awake from our sleep. The disciples slept. And Jesus was connected with heaven just a few feet away. In a few hours, he would go to the cross. In a few hours, the betrayers would come to capture him. And eternal events were taking place while they were sleeping just a few feet away. We just simply must wake up. I want to ask Brother Toby to, to come to the piano. I'm not going to preach a whole lot longer. I feel a holy hush in this room. What we've got to realize is that it's easy to walk through life and not even really know we're asleep. Anybody ever had a sleepwalker in the family? My sister was bad about it. She'd wake up all parts of the house and wonder, how did I get here? How did I get here? I got a ton of stuff I can preach from. I just feel to go here Luke chapter 15 tells the story of the prodigal son we all know the story prodigal son is the oldest son of a rich father the youngest son rather of a rich father he goes to his father and he says father give me all of my inheritance give it to me early and the father gives it to him and the bible says that he takes his inheritance and he goes off into a far country and he lives riotously he enjoys himself. 
like, like a person with a stimulus check at Walmart. I know some of y'all waiting on that stimulus check. Fixing a spin, baby. He gets his money. He doesn't save it. He doesn't squirrel it away. He doesn't invest in the stock market. He doesn't put it in a 401k. Kia, he takes the money and he enjoys life. He goes and he does what everybody else does. Everybody else is having a good time. And he joins right in. And he fits right into what's happening in the world. And he's spending his coin day after day. And the Bible says that he wastes his time. He wastes his money on riotous living. And finally, the Bible says, unseen to him, he didn't know that just around the corner there was a famine. There's a famine coming the land. Nobody, he didn't know. He was asleep. Just doing the things that made him happy. Just living the life that culture said to live. And the Bible says this. That when the famine hit and the money was gone, that he became a servant of a pig farmer. A Jewish young man, a servant now of a pig farmer. And he was literally eating the pig food day after day living in the muck and the mire as a result of his decisions. He's depressed, he's sad, his life has been a waste. All of this comes about. And one day the Bible says that while he is sitting in the pig pen, as if shaken out of a sleep, he wakes up and the Bible says he came. awake but not really awake living but not really living coming to church but not really connecting with God and when he finds himself in the pig pen the Bible says he came to himself because to be awake is to be aware and what I'm praying will happen today is that for somebody a light will go on and that your spirit will begin to stir so that you'll begin to see that you've been wasting your time that you've been doing the bare minimum that you've been following after culture you've been living according to what they say and what they do but I've come to preach to somebody in the mire it's time to wake up it's time to come to yourself it's time to become aware. To be awake is to be aware. And the prodigal son came to himself and he says, hold on a minute. How many of my father's hired servants, they are blessed. They are blessed. They have food to eat. They have bread in the house. They aren't worried. They aren't anxious. And he says this, I will arise. I'm going to change my life. And I'm going to run to the father's house. came to himself the Bible says he arose because to be awake is to be aware to be awake is to be active and listen when you're awake you're not inactive anymore some of us have come to church and our faith is dormant our faith lies dormant we amen the preacher we agree we believe and, and the issue is not in our faith the issue is in our awareness I want us to stand together. And he says, I, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father's house.
He says, there's bread in my father's house. And the Bible says he begins to make the long journey home. And when he arrives to where his father is, what he doesn't realize is on the other side of his awakening, there is a promise that still awaits him. There is a promise that God still has for him. And the Bible says that when he comes to his father, his father doesn't reject him. He doesn't push him away at arm's length. But the Bible says the father receives him with open arms and falls on him and embraces him. And listen to the words of the father. He said, he said this, my son was dead, but now he is alive again. He begins to restore to him all of the calling, all of the anointing, all of the ability. He puts on him the best robe. He delivers him from his circumstances. He brings him out into a place of blessing, a place of standing. He puts his signet ring on them. He says, I'm going to let him wear my name. Even though he was dead and he was gone, I'm going to awaken him to what I created him to be. Ladies and gentlemen, we need an awakening. That's what we really need. We need an awakening. We need an awakening. Because the enemy comes in in the midnight hour. The parable of the sower says he sows tares in our field in the midnight hour. He's working against us. But let me tell you something. What hell fears more than anything, what hell is scared of more than anything is a church that is awake. A church that is alive. A church that is praying in the pivotal moments. A church that is engaged in the mission. Because when you wake up and you realize that hell is real, it'll change your activity. It'll change how you're reaching your family and your friends. It'll change how you come to church when you realize that heaven is real and hell is real. It'll change how you interact day to day with God. You'll stop going through the motions and you'll start becoming aware of things that God has for you, that God's ordained for you, that God has declared for you. Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me tell you all it takes for the church to win in Monroe, Louisiana. All it takes for the right side to win in your family is an awakening of the Holy Ghost. At the end of the service, can you can you feel in every head bowed and every eye closed? As he's walking through this place, I believe he's grabbing people by the shoulder saying, wake up, mom. Wake up, dad. Your kids need your prayers. I believe that he's saying, wake up. Wake up, singer. Wake up, leader. Wake up because you've got a mission and a calling and a purpose. Hell is working overtime and the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eternity is approaching quickly. Wake up, church. There's a lost and dying world. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, because the only hope for a lost world is the way church. Some of you need to get spiritually woke. Utterly aware that the people that you pass from day to day might enter into eternity without Jesus. Oh God. We need to be utterly aware that the people we pass on the way home, driving across the roads, might enter eternity without Jesus. 
just like on the night of Gethsemane, I believe Jesus is coming to us in this hour saying, wake up. You don't know what's happening around you. Wake up. Because if you're awake, you can make a difference. If you're awake, you can bring change. If you're awake, you can make an impact. Come on, Mom and Dad. I wonder if you just grab your family close. If you got family here, just grab your family close. And we're going to pray right now in the end of the service. Heavenly Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would enter this room and do something different. God, wave the smelling salt of the Holy Ghost underneath our noses, God. Help us to wake up to the reality that eternity is real, that hell and heaven are real. God, that the gospel is true. God, help us wake up to the reality that if we don't, someone else might not. God, that there is missing ministries and gaps not being filled because in the hour of our Savior's need, we're asleep. God, don't let us get caught sleeping in the hour that matters the most. Come on, some of you, you have touched your face so far inside that you don't even know where it is anymore. You've got to wake up to an awareness. Wake up to what God is doing. That's it. Pray over your children right now. Come on, adults. Can we pray over our kids right now? God, I pray for these kids that are growing up in a compromised culture. God, I pray for these kids, God, that are growing up in a world that is trying to warp their minds and their hearts away from you. God, we lift them up in the name of Jesus. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus over our kids. God, we engage in spiritual battle so that they are not lost to the tides of this time. God, we are awake and aware, God, to the fact that people are lost and dying, living in lies, wondering if there is a truth. God, wake us up so we can reach them. Wake us up so we can reach them. Come on, that's it. Somebody reach to heaven. We're just going to have a prayer meeting here for a moment. Come on, that's it. Reach to heaven and say, Lord, I'm tired of sleeping in the night. I'm getting up. I wonder if somebody would walk to this altar and say, I'm waking up. I'm not sitting on the bench anymore. I'm not sleeping in anymore. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a calling. Come on, that's it. I wonder, CLC, if somebody would step out and say, you know what? Someone else might sleep in. But I'm not going to be caught sleeping. I'm not going to miss the opportunity to make a difference. Savior's need. Come on, eternity is being wrong in this time. Souls are finding their destiny at this time. Are we going to be an available church? Are we going to be a sleeping church? Come on, let's hear. Let God shake you out of your seat. Come on, let's hear, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God, we pray that a spiritual awakening would strike the church. And it's not going to come from feel good messages. God, it's going to come from truth. God, it's going to come from your word. Oh, God, wants to pour out his spirit upon our families. God wants to pour out his spirit on our church. God wants the church to shine bright in this world. But we've got to wake up, arise, shine, give God the glory. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
kids here. I wonder if families. I want to give a family altar call. You won't get corona Grab your husband and your wife. We gotta decide where we stand in this end time. Come on. I just want you to grab them and we're gonna pray together. This room is our altar call. Because we're not gonna be blind to what the devil is doing. Listen, we're not gonna be goaded into the trap of living like the world lives. We have a different calling. There's a different name that's on us. We're not gonna get caught in living after culture's ideals. We've got a purpose. We've got a calling. We've got an election. And we've got to make it sure. We're declaring today we're not going to sleep on the world in the end No, we're coming out of darkness. We're coming out. Come on, young person. God's going to use you to win the lost. God's got soul winners, missionaries, preachers. He's calling you to do something wrong. You wake up! 